Welcome back to another episode of Miyazaki and Me. I'm Kyle. And I'm inexplicably British. I'm Shane. And this time we are joined, because it is it is not a Hayao Miyazaki movie, we are once again joined by a very special guest. Hi guys, I'm Connor. I'm a friend of Kyle's from college, and I'm a huge Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli fan, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're real glad to have you. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. This is going to be exciting because yeah, this is as we said, this is not a, a Miyazaki film itself. Of it's a, a yeah. Iso Takahata film, um, which is why we always bring in guests for these. And I'm uh, I'm excited to go over this one. It was it, it's only yesterday, which was released in July of 1991. Uh from studio ghibli this is the last one of the last uh toho productions um as uh toru hara uh would retire basically after this film and Good for uh, him. he had a long career yeah he i mean he did have a really long career uh but this was actually based off a uh, off a manga yeah, this was based off of, uh, I'm going to say it incorrectly, but I'm going to try, uh, Amoidi Poro Poro, uh, which is actually translated to Memories Come Tumbling Down. Uh, the interesting uh, fact about this manga, um, it, was, it came out in 1982, which is actually the same year that the, uh, uh, that the adult portion of the uh, movie is taking place. But in the manga itself, it actually only followed uh, um, the young Taiko. It did not actually get into the adult years. All of that was actually... Um, all of the adult Taiko was written by uh, Takahata um, for the movie itself. I, I love that fact because I think it's 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 fascinating because uh, in the making of of the film uh, that Miyazaki is the one who found the manga, but he couldn't find a way to adapt it, so he gave it to Takahata. Takahata also couldn't find a way, but he thought of the idea of a framing device would make it more palatable, and I think it really works because it creates a sort of nostalgia. Uh, you have a character in the film looking back on their own childhood and it creates this sort of interesting idea of how time passes and how you look back on your childhood through different lenses. Yep. And, and speaking of looking back at like the childhoods uh, we, we always go over just to give the, the viewer and the viewers and listeners some context of what else was released in this year. And this was a really big year uh, once again, I feel like a kind of a broken record of like, like, we keep saying it's like, wow, this is a really big year in animation. And they kind of all are in this time period. And because this was uh, when Beauty and the Beast was released. Never uh, heard of it. This was also uh, the second American tale movie, Fievel Goes West. Uh, yet another Dragon Ball Z movie, which I'm going to stop mentioning those because <laughs> they're, they're basically released every year. <laughs> which one is this? Uh, <laughs> Cooler's Revenge. Cooler's Revenge. Oh, okay, that one's terrible. <laughs> no, it's a classic. What are you talking about? <laughs> that, that's also why I'm going to stop mentioning them because they keep getting worse, it seems. I believe Cooler's Revenge is... Oh, it's the first time Cooler actually shows up, which is why it's funny. It's called Cooler's Revenge because he's getting revenge for them taking out Frieza, his brother. Um, uh, but there is a later one that Cooler comes back again. Uh, and in that one, he is the T2 Liquid Terminator. <laughs> just so you know. Just just a fun fact for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, the uh, the movie Rockadoodle also came out. 
Um, and probably most most importantly for me, uh, this is when they did an extended pilot for Darkwing Duck. <laughs> Let's get dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I would say out of those movies, uh, Rockadoodle was the most influential in my childhood, which is weird to say with Darkwing Duck being in there. Uh, I had that on VHS, and I wore the VHS out. Well, that's me with Beauty and the Beast. My parents always tell me it was that and Aladdin. I would just watch every single day when I was a kid. I would watch them over and over again. Uh, weirdly enough, we are we are all picking different movies, because I, I love Fievel Goes West. Uh <laughs> that that's one of my favorite movies from my childhood so so yeah like i said it was a, it was a really interesting year and uh, like i said that we we have only yesterday as well which was released in japan and yeah i'm really like it was a really interesting film for sure um uh, it ended up making almost 30 million dollars in the box office so it was a, it was a huge hit it for studio ghibli and you know it's it's very much a a slice of life and you know kind of we have those adult framing in sequences that we talked about but uh yeah what are what are your guys's kind of general thoughts and kind of scenes that stood out to you um as we as we go through the film this is one actually my favorite uh ghibli films um I know Miyazaki's, you know, Miyazaki, I love him, but he definitely is the more famous of the two main directors. But Asao Takahata, I think, is a phenomenal uh, director with such films like this, but also Tale of Kaguya, and even Pompoka, I think, is really fascinating and really fun. Uh, but this one really hits hard for me because it's a film about kind of, you know, you're growing up and thinking back on childhood and, and how you some dreams didn't come true and... Uh, some aspirations have changed and how you misremember or remember differently things. So I, I found it really powerful, especially as I get older. It's it's definitely a film, I don't think it would have the same effect if you watched it when you were a kid, but if you watch it uh, as an older person, you know, post-college, it really hits hard, I think. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting because uh, I saw this originally in 2016 with a mutual friend of all of ours, Craig. Uh, we actually saw it when it was released in theaters uh, with the with the English dubs, um, and saw it at the Uptown Theater in Minneapolis. And um, back then, I I was I was I mean I've always been into animes, but I hadn't really gotten into the slice of life animes yet. Like I felt I still had the mindset that like most animes had to be fantastical in in some way. And uh, and Takahata being the less fantastic, I mean he is the one that does a a full anime of a family of anthropomorphic raccoons but he's still the less fantastical of the two main uh studio ghibli uh he's more slice of life and everything he does uh, uh with them um even with the talking raccoons because they're a family um but uh at the time i don't i don't think i appreciated this movie as much as i do even now um just four years later uh w- watching it again and and really picking up on a lot of the the nuances that i've actually noticed in my life being a bit older and a bit mo- more mature and and yeah i i very much uh enjoy this film yeah and connor you actually said you had an interesting story of how you first saw this film as well well yeah as you pointed out um it was only officially released in the united states in 2016 uh because back in 91 uh, it never got a U.S. release uh, it's just, it's because Disney hadn't acquired 
the 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 U.S. rights to the films until later in the '90s. And then when Disney did buy the Ghibli catalog, they never released it on home video. Even they chose not to. They they felt it was maybe too adult or too nuanced. So for a long time, it was kind of it was the unseen Ghibli film, the one you couldn't get outside of Japan. Uh, but luckily, I live in Los Angeles, and there's a theater here called the Egyptian Theater, which does every year a Ghibli uh, retrospective. They play all the Ghibli films. And when I first moved here, I found out, oh my God, they're they're playing only yesterday, as well as Ocean Waves, the other one that you couldn't get until very recently. So I I, I went and saw it, and it wasn't even it definitely wasn't even a great quality. It felt like a deep, you know a low quality DVD they were projecting, but hey, it was a way to watch it with subtitles, and I could see it for the first time. And I was just so excited that this film that you know this is back in I don't know, 2013 2014. So at that time, it felt like. This is the only way I'll ever see it. It'll never get released. And then, of course, it does get released. But back then, it felt like this was a real like secret screening that no one else knew about, that I could finally watch this movie. That's really cool. That's a, that's a fun way to, to see this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, especially in context with the rest of the Ghibli stuff, too. Like, it, it as, as we've been going through it, it stands out, you know, as something so different, especially we're just coming off you know, the very fantastical, you know, Kiki's delivery service. And then we get this, which is so much more grounded and yeah, plays with plays with memory a lot. Like you, you both have said, uh, and I actually like the, uh, this was actually a, a quote that they said in, in actually the kingdom of, of dreams and madness about uh, princess Kaguya. And that was uh, that they were having all of the background animation and stuff very sparse and very kind of, you know, almost whitish. And just when you were doing flashbacks in that film and they kind of use that same technique in a lot of the flashbacks here, like instead of a bright sky, it was just kind of white and nothingness. So that you knew it was kind of this more dreamlike or memory, you know, style uh, flashback. I was actually going to bring that up, too, because to me, it looked more like a manga when it was doing the flashback. Mm -hmm. And I thought that 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 was a to me, that was that was the choice of saying, like, this these portions are from the manga. These are like actually uh, things that you can go back and read and, and they're kind of giving it an homage and then the when she's an adult it's it's got more color and 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 so to me it says like this is the the original this is where or this is the original uh story that we created for this so we have the manga and we have the 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 movie is kind of back and forth and i thought that was kind of cool and you guys watched it uh in english dub right yes yeah. i was actually going to ask you do you normally do the subtitles I, it's, it's interesting to me because like, I definitely when I was when I started watching the films, I watched the English dubs. I, I I still appreciate those because I a lot of them are very well done. Some are not so well done, but some are well done. <laughs> um, but this one I did see first in Japanese, and then I went and watched it in English when the new dub came out. But um, what's fascinating for me is the fact that the this is one of the few animes, or definitely one of the first, where they did recorded the audio first and matched the the face movement to the actual actors. So if you watch it in Japanese, the the, the modern day sections, the, 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 the older Taiko sections, all her their their lips perfectly match and even they have like the cheek muscles move as she would talk because Takahata really wanted to capture realism in those modern day scenes. 
versus the traditional style of anime in the flashback scenes. And when you watch it in Japanese, it is it like because it, it's so uncommon. They don't, it just they don't do that very often. So watching it in Japanese, you really get a sense like this is a different style. They're really going for a a really realistic depiction of human faces in this movie. That's very cool. Yeah, like yeah, they they yeah they you can see very much in the animation that they they keep the emphasis on like the cheekbones and like the dimples almost. Um, yeah. of of Tycho, you know, as as she's speaking. Yeah, that was that was a really cool. You could still see it in the uh, the dub version, some like with the with her smiles and everything. Like it felt more real in the way that 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 she looked, and it was definitely a big difference from from the the children as well in that sense. Uh, but uh, I'm actually very intrigued to actually go through and and you know turn this on in the in the original Japanese now and actually see the kind of difference that it actually shows. Um, the English dub is still good. I like Daisy Ridley and Deb Patel. They did a good job. Uh, but it definitely, it, it's always interesting to compare, I think, to see how different actors play the same characters versus the dub versus the sub. Uh, I had a little trouble at first with this one by the fact that there's two British actors playing <laughs> the two leads. And one of them is still British and the other one is not. And I don't know why they made that that choice um, to have one British actor do an American accent, the other one keep their British accent and be the only British character in the movie. It was that, that just threw me off a little bit. That's why I started off the podcast by saying I'm inexplicably British. <laughs> no, I think, it, I think it's, um, it might be because they want to differentiate that she is from the city and he is from the country because, uh, Takahata talks about in the making of that he, he cast actors who were from different regions of Japan, so you really felt like the, in Japan, in Japanese, you would tell they have different accents. They have different. You can tell from their where they're where they're from based on how they speak, and that's always a problem with with English dubs. You sometimes I'll watch uh, an a Jap uh, uh, an anime, and there's a character from the country, so they'll give the the English voice actors like thick Southern accents to tell to to, to let you know they're from the country which wouldn't make sense in Japanese, but in Japan, they'd have their own accent for the country, but they want to capture that. So they give them American Southern accents. So, you know, the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember seeing that, um, in the, in the documentary as well. And it's like, Oh yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because they're, you always forget like, like as you know, Western eyes to Japan, like we always forget. It's like, it's, it's a series of islands, you know, there there's you know the bigger island but like there are so many different regions of japan and yeah the fact that like you know there we know you know there's there's differences in accents between even new york philadelphia and boston which aren't very far apart but you know there there is a difference in those accents and and yeah, what what did you think like kind of of how how they approach the stories with um and what little types of of vignettes that we saw from her childhood? So I, I felt that some of them they did a really good job of connecting the adult to the to the childhood story. Um, some of them I felt a little less connected uh, uh, through the over arc uh idea of it but they kind of also try to explain that away in in the narrative too at one point i think she even says like i don't know why i'm thinking about the fifth grade me but i guess i am right now so there you go <laughs> um, so so there was overall it flowed well 
um, the, the flashbacks weren't jarring. Uh, the first one was a little odd because there's no, other than the changing of style a bit, there's no way to know that this just jumped to a flashback. Um, but you pick up on the fact that, that it is not like her child or something right, right away. You pick up that this is a younger version of the, of the character you were just introduced to um, pretty quickly, I, I think, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I think um, I think it's fascinating, you know, how different, you know, it, it, you'd think if it was a flashback story, there would be more correlation. You're right in the sense like this is like on the one hand, Taiko, adult Taiko is on a farm and she's very kind of uh, reflective and kind and quiet. And then you have her as a child. She's she's so different. She's 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 very bold and very outspoken. So it definitely is this. There's so much unspoken how much she has changed in, you know, in 15 years or whatnot, or 20 years. But uh, I love the so many details that are specific to Japan, like the fact that they get a pineapple for the first time because post-World War II Japan and the economy is finally uh, recovering. So a pineapple is a new thing. And the fact that, but also, the, you know, there's also things that are you know universal. The idea that the older sister because she's a teenager, is into the Beatles. But the fact that because she's only 10 or 11, she doesn't care about the Beatles. And that's so so relatable in the sense that, you know, even if they're only a few years apart, uh, she and her sister do not get along and they don't get the same references. So on the one hand, it's such a specific movie to Japan of the 60s and 80s. On the other hand, you can still watch it and find these universal truths, like the fact that the dad is not is very stoic and doesn't listen to you, and the mom tries to tell you, don't talk to your dad. There are these things that work no matter where you're watching it from. Well, uh, in the things that you just said, you kind of touched on the thing about this movie that made me incredibly angry. And that is that in no world are bananas better than pineapples. <laughs> I just, I, I if it's saw your that first... out loud, I went, y- you go to hell, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might be a shock if you have a pineapple for the first time. After only having bananas, maybe it may be a big shock. <laughs> Especially fresh pineapple, it's so good. That's that's my that's my big opinion from this movie is that pineapples are indeed better than bananas, and I am just I am upset that they would even insinuate the other way. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm also- I'm allergic to pineapple, so I have no ah. no no stake in this fight. Yeah, I told you you weren't gonna like my opinion, Kyle. <laughs> It's also uh, that, that uh, this is a. I, I love the the pineapple scene because though there's a you can if you watch all the uh, Takahata's films, there's sort of a recurring element of cutting fruit. You have, a, you have the, he has cuts the fruit in uh in in the fireflies. He cuts fruit here and then he cuts it again in Kaguya. And even in the making of Kaguya, he says like, I I've done this because in Grave the Fireflies we didn't do it properly. It wasn't animated right. He says the details weren't there, so I keep trying to get it better. And that's uh, it's so Takahata because he's always a detailed. Because he's he's not an an animator. He's not unlike Miyazaki. He's not drawing it, but he's very specific about details. So I love that this movie, especially. You know, it's just vignettes. It's all these little moments filled with details. Like she she leaves her shoes off. She they cut into the pineapple. Uh, she can't do fractions. All these moments that are not on their own feel like nothing, but they he builds them together into this very moving portrait of a life. Yeah, he ties them together in a really nice uh, kind of introspective on 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 where she's at now which really helps justify the decision at the end to stop and run back and and stay in the country um spoilers uh um 
and I, I think that the the vignettes themselves actually help motivate that decision and and uh, as they show with all the kids showing up at that end moment which i thought that end moment was very probably the best part of the whole movie and seeing the the kids you know the the ghost children interacting with her and and uh, stopping the bus and and um generally running around you know they they left the one kid off the train and they pulled him through the window like it was just it was such a fun little little scene and it was it was the credits like it was the end of the movie it was i, I very much enjoyed it I especially love the music of the whole movie. Uh, the composer is uh, Katz Hoshi. Um, and I think it's, it's it's a phenomenal score. Obviously, Joe Isashi is a master most of the Miyazaki films, but uh, Katz Hoshi, he also did uh, Chi the Brat, which is a TV show Takahata did before this. And uh, I'm so glad that he brought him back because I think it's one of my favorite scores of a Ghibli film. Yeah, yeah, I think we've we've pointed out uh, the irony that uh, Takahata is the one who brought Hisayashi into Studio Ghibli and does not actually work. And the two of them don't actually work together on the same film until uh, Princess Kaguya, <laughs> like uh, Takahata's I, I... last film. Yeah. <laughs> I do find it interesting when we're speaking of the music that Takahata was actually the one that translated the rose into Japanese to be sung. Oh. Uh, so at, the, at that, that end song with the, with the, it was actually Takahata wrote the lyrics to that for the Japanese version. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. Like, like, I mean, we talked about in the last episode, he has a very good ear for music at goal choices in, in his films. Oh, very much so. Uh, I mean, didn't did he write the song for for uh, uh, Kiki's? Was that what it was? No, he was the musical director. He was the musical so director. He, for he it. picked. Oh, that's right. He picked all the songs and and then had uh, Hisayashi um, score it. So. And this film is full with. Uh, we have a recurring theme: is the is it the the main guy likes these Hungarian uh, folk songs, which is this great little like detail of. Not just he likes folk songs, but also Hungarian folk songs. So once again, he's bringing in these these details that feel so specific that he that, that to the characters that you never would have thought of to include. Yeah, just a, just a unique little bit so that they they kind of flesh out into their own being and the rather than than blend into just another character of a movie. Yep, and yeah, and and since those were in the the adult scenes, like you you kind of all have to imagine those are mostly you know, Takahata decisions and, you know, those weren't based off, I mean, probably a little bit of influence from the manga, but, you know, it was, it was more from his, you know, perspective of like, what, what type of music would this character listen to? Definitely. It, it was also, uh, the, the flashbacks were also really cool to, to show the, the way that parents worked, uh, back in the, in the sixties um in japan um because taiko's father especially i thought was a great character in this movie a stoic character who wouldn't say much but was the lead of the family uh and and that scene where they flash back to show him slapping her uh and then and then her discussing it afterwards of saying like he never did it again and you know sometimes i wish that he had hit me more often because now i just think back to that one time where he really hit me and it just it, it's like what 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 was wrong with me kind of kind of where she put it on herself 
um and it's a really interesting view on the on you know the the kind of ways that that parents disciplined their children back then and and the abuses that that you would see that you know sometimes the the little ones of even just one time is enough to to weigh on a, a child's uh, mind yeah and that that scene also it it almost came, feel felt like it came a little out of nowhere like it it was you know it it's not like she did worse things earlier but like you know that's that's what you know required the discipline for some reason was coming out without shoes on um you know so yeah it was it was interesting that yeah and that was the one flashback um that that we really got that yeah sees like the the father figure being you know uh you know being physically abusive at that point but like she said it was the only time for me even like in some ways even harsher moment is the moment where he says you can't be an actor and it's just like everyone's like oh it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome you're gonna have a fun time and he says no and that's it end of conversation there's no change in his mind and it, it is it is these moments of you're right it's about how parents raise their kids it's what the kid carries on into their adulthood you know in contrast to moments of school you know like the moment where she you know she has to sit out period sit out a recess and everyone thinks she has on her period at that time it's these little moments that happen and they're only for a brief second but you they're imprinted on your mind forever and i really liked the uh the reaction uh in the adult world where she's telling the story of of where she's not able to uh to act and and the reaction of of uh toshio and and how he says he's like no that's she's she goes oh i was never going to be an actress like i wasn't good enough i i tried later and he goes no that's not the point uh the point is that you wanted it and and just this one little thing made uh of saying no was stopped it like like sometimes fathers do try to try to do what's best for you and look out for you but you know it's it's not that's not always the the point of the uh, of like you're allowed to be upset by something of that sort is essentially what I took from, from what he was saying, but he, he kind of mixed it into a message where it was also like father's no best too, which also, which I thought was kind of weird because it seemed like the point changed in the middle of what he was saying, but yeah. And yeah, it was really interesting. Um, we'll kind of focus on the, on the, the flashbacks before we get to, you know, the adult story. Um, it, it was interesting. Like the, the things we didn't know, like when we were kids that now we kind of take, you know, granted, like, like the, the little boys, you know, thinking that every time the girl sat out a gym class, she was on her period, you know? And I even wrote down just one of the lines, like periods aren't contagious. Like boys are stupid, you know? Um, but then like also the, like the scene of like Tycho and the almost little sort of relationship almost that she gets into with the, with the other classes, like the kid from the other class who plays baseball, um, and all the little girls teasing both of them that they're like interested in one another it was it was weird it was an interesting look on childhood and remembering those types of interactions yeah it was also a weird little because i mean it was the epitome of a 
I, I think he's she's in fifth grade, if I remember right. Uh, yes. The epitome of a fifth grade relationship of, of this boy likes you. They never talk. He says three things to her and they both feel like they're in love for five minutes and then you never see anything about it again. And <laughs> that's exactly how it works when you're when you're that age. <laughs> and so I thought that was a nice little little scene there that it, you know, it was more of how everyone reacted to it more so than anything that the, the two of the people actually involved did themselves. Yeah, it's like with 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 uh, the girls having their period. It's it's the rumor. It's the it's the gossip is bigger than anything that actually happens. It's the it's the people spreading notes in class or whispers in the hallway. That's what really happens at the, at that age. Nothing really happens, but everyone talks about it like like it's a big thing. Yeah, um, but you you do get the uh, which is definitely something I I now want to put on like my dating profile of like, do you like a sunny day or a cloudy day? <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna put uh, periods aren't contagious on your profile. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but like the awkwardness of like that that like that your first like flirtation and like trying to figure out what to say and this is what this kid comes out with comes up with is like, do you like a sunny day or a cloudy day? And then it's just you know so just waiting for an answer, and you're like, oh. This could go either really well or really poorly. And it went really well, but then he just runs off. It's like, yeah, we both like cloudy days. That's really cool. And then just runs off all excited. We're going to get married. Hooray. But then that leads into one of my, my favorite moments in the movie is that moment where she just she runs into the sky and starts swimming among the clouds. It's this amazing moment of magical realism that perfectly captures her, her feelings. So it's just a realistic, down-to-earth anime. But then... Boom! We it's a little moment where it's perfectly uses magic to kind of bring us into the emotional character. Yeah. I also thought it was fun. Uh, what the the puppet show that she bonds with, um, uh, that she bonds with. Uh, oh my gosh, I just forgot his name. Even though I just said it. Atoshio, uh, later in the later in the movie, actually right after the uh, the acting scene, I believe it is, uh, is actually a real TV show that that was on. Um, back in the 60s uh, called, uh, and once again, I'll probably say this wrong, but Hikori uh, Hayo Tanjima, or Popped Up Gourd Island. Uh, and it was a it was a popular kids show on there that they, they animated for this movie to, you know, give people something they can watch and go, oh, I know what that is. And so I'm sure when they were singing the songs from it, there were people in the audiences in Japan that probably were like, I know this song. And I think that's a really cool way to add that in. Yeah, and and I liked that as as the two adults were singing this song, you have the younger girl that was at the at the farm or whatever, and she's just kind of sitting back and just listening to these two. Like, I have no idea what this song is. You two are kind of weird, you know. <laughs> it's like whenever I talk about. Uh, Pokemon from the 90s or like other 90s kids shows like it's they have no idea what I'm talking about <laughs> yeah that's right Ash is a champion for the kids now he never got that for us um so so yeah now now talking about the the adult side of of this film uh as as they say early on that uh uh 27 is too old you need to start settling down Yikes, uh, oh, it's rough on me. Yeah. Harsh truth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
yeah, like like yeah, Tycho goes goes out to the country to kind of escape for a little while, and she needs a break like, from the from the city life. Um, and yeah, it was it was just yeah, we got the the interesting shots like on the train and and then having all of her flashbacks. Uh, but I really started to like um uh, when her and Toshio were were talking in the car um right after she gets picked up uh from the train station it actually gave me and i realize it actually predates my reference it it gave me an actual uh similar feeling to like the type of conversations they were having were similar types of conversations uh that to me took place in like the the richard linklater before series uh uh-huh. Just, you know, these two and actually it was because of the animation being more realistic, um, I think helps with this is the fact that you could just have for, you know, a few minutes straight, just these two characters talking in a car and it's still being captivating and still being really interesting to see to watch. Especially if you're a fan of uh, Japanese farming techniques. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as as that's all he's talking about of like, like, oh yeah, we're organic. We do this. We do this, and it's like, cool. But again, in the in the English dub, it's dub it's Dev Patel, so it's like, okay, I'm cool with this. It's like Dev, just keep talking. You know, you're <laughs> awesome. So, I I enjoy her growth as an adult in this movie as well, where where it starts off as this is her vacation away for her to relax it's it's you know the the family she's living she's staying with is actually uh her sister's husband's like not i I don't know if it's his parents or or like a uh, his cousins or something like that but it's she's not in any way related to them and they've kind of taken her in uh and and originally it starts off as like an escape from an escape from reality of of you know going to the country and and working and her sister doesn't know why, you know, she would choose to go work instead of go relax uh, because she doesn't understand that, that she finds this relaxing. Um, and then the growth of, you know, her enjoying this so much and the relationships building while she's there uh, into the the grandma ever so bluntly being like, why don't you just marry him? <laughs> <laughs> and just just like. Like yeah no nobody nobody gets any choice in this. How about you just marry Toshio and that we just call it. You just live here forever. Uh, at which point she then has the uh, the kind of same crisis you see as her as a kid of of second guessing herself and and the way that she's thinking because it doesn't feel normal. Um, especially since you know as as a kid she was she recalls at one point her mom literally saying she's not normal. Uh, so the fact that she's able to get picked up by Toshio at that moment is really, you know, ends up driving where the decision's going to go here because he calms her down and she then starts daydreaming about staying with him. And that would leads to that great end scene. But, but I think it's a great character growth of just not like, I like it here. I'm staying like they actually show her, um, and tie the kid's story into it of her trying to make this decision and and almost just trying to talk herself out of making the right decision for her, for herself. 
Uh, Connor, any thoughts on uh, the the adult scenes? Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, thematic journey because you're right. It's it's almost like she falls in love with the life. You know, it, it, it definitely she she likes Toshio, and there's an attraction there, but uh, it's not a super romantic. There's no like meet cute. There's no like you know like awkward kissing or whatnot. It's a movie about her loving life that she meets, she finds this idea of a of this farm and sort of this this regular kind of out outside of the city and not having to worry about career it's 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 a portrait of someone you know on one hand you, you might see it as she's kind of giving up on like the city life she's she's going back to the country into easier life but other hand it is sort of in as the story presents it it is her kind of being open with herself and what she wants not what maybe society or her parents expect her to have so it is a sort of like you know, she you said she has this second guessing, like, is this what I want? Is this is this what my parents want? Is this am I thinking what I actually want but not really wanting? It is this difficult interior journey of her deciding what's the best option for her. Uh, I, I think that the, a lot of the stories being her not actually getting what she wanted as a child though was was a good way to build that too. Cause the majority of the stories were her literally not getting the things that she was looking for. And and that's another way to bring it around to, you know, finally get what you want. Yeah, cuz cuz even in that scene um where she gets slapped, like the the start on why she didn't want to go uh, un, uh go oh, to dinner with them at first was she didn't have a purse. And we got these is you know all these is scenes leading up to that of her wanting this hand-me-down purse from her older sister and the sister refusing to give it to her you know and then she finally basically just throws the the purse at her or um at at Tycho and then Tycho is still crying in and doesn't want to go and then they start leaving without her and then that's when she runs after them but doesn't have her shoes on it's such a great it's such a great portrayal of childhood mentality i think the idea that you know you you want something uh but if you if it doesn't go your way you kind of like no i don't actually want it but you still kind of want it but your parents are like okay you say you don't want it it's this really it really hits me how well observed the, the the idea of how we think as a child and how we have temper tantrums and we're not really sure what we want and we and our parents are don't don't understand us. It's it's very well written and and, and portrayed. I think. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say I fully I fully agree with that. It's 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 a, especially the scenes about the purse because you know officially she she doesn't want the purse because she wants she wants them to buy her her own so it's just it's this great roller coaster of as you're watching you just go you're just being a child but then you just think well you are a child yeah so <laughs> you you can be a child <laughs> yep um and then uh we we can't uh we we touched on it earlier but the the scene at the end in the car the flashback she's having is of this you know this kid that you know, kind of was a little grungy and nobody liked and everyone was making fun of, of except for her. She said she was always very polite, but was never nice to him either named, named Abe. And he, as he was leaving school shook, the teacher told, told him to shake everyone's hand in the class. 
and the whole class did it and then uh, Abe refused to shake Tycho's hand. I, I actually got a legitimate laugh um, from the scene when she's showing he's like leaving town with his dad and he he changes his demeanor to be the bad boy in front of her again. And his dad just, just hits him in the back of that. He's like, what are you doing? Stop that. And I thought it was a legitimate funny moment, like a, a funny, cute moment of like, and it was a good realization moment because she's told that, you know, he was actually probably he liked her and. You know, he didn't want to shake anybody else's hand. And he only actually wanted to shake hers. So he's doing the opposite. And that little scene just kind of proved it um, from her memory of like, oh, he did change everything when he was around me. Look at that. And I love that she also, after he leaves, she tries it herself. She also hunches her back and spits just to kind of like mimic him for a bit. And it, and like I said, it's this interesting, it's this movie about thinking back in your childhood and maybe if you talk to someone like Toshio, you can kind of reevaluate your memories and, or remember something you've forgotten. It's a, it's a movie about coming to terms with your memories and what you remember and what you've forgotten and how you process them and move forward. It's a movie about saying, screw it. I got to go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In some, in some ways like, Oh, maybe I should have talked about some of this stuff early here because yeah it's clearly been weighing on my conscience since fifth grade uh but yeah uh both of you any any uh of your final thoughts uh of the movie as a whole well i think like i said this is one of my favorite ones interesting enough i think actually this is really interesting sort of double feature with kiki i think these are both movies kiki is about a young person sort of moving away for the first time and this is about an older person sort of coming back and reliving her childhood. But for me, they're both very introspective movies about uh, about uh, dealing with kind of growing up and, and accepting responsibility and having sometimes you feel down and you don't know what to do. But, you know, with hopefully with the help of friends, you can pick yourself up and uh, and keep moving forward. So I, I think they're two of my favorite. You know, obviously, I think, you know, Prince of Monoke and, and Spirit of the Way are kind of the kind of the classics of Ghibli, but these two, Kiki and Only Yesterday, really hit me because they're so introspective and meditative about uh, real life issues, even if one of them involves a witch. Yeah, I am really happy that I've seen this multiple times because I I find this as a uh, multiple times through you know in a big gap in my life, uh, I find this as a movie that that as you get older it's going to be more uh resonant to you and and you know you'll you'll start to catch and see little things in you in the movie and that's what makes this movie so good that's why you know that when it came out it was the number one movie in japan that year of not just animated movies but all movies like it's it's just a legitimate good introspective story uh and and it it also and something that we've said before and we'll keep saying it continues on with the theme of studio ghibli that i love and that's strong female characters um that i i mean yes there's a there's a love interest in this one but it's not really like he's he's just they're they're courting a little bit but it's not like a uh a heart yearning love story it's it's she's not falling in love with necessarily him i mean she is but she's falling in love with what and who she's becoming and and what she wants to do with her life and and you know even in these slice of life versions of the studio ghibli films like this 
uh, you still get that strong female character that that really makes her own decisions. And I, I really love that because you don't see that in a lot of uh, animated movies, especially around this time. Yeah, yeah. Tashio acts less like a love interest and more like a sounding board and just someone she she talks to, you know, is, is comfortable talking to about all of these things, um, which is, you know, the basis of a good relationship is like, oh, communication is key. That's interesting. Um, That's but, missing. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I I I enjoyed this movie. Probably not as much as you know some of the others, but uh, yeah, it 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 made you think a lot more. And yeah, like as as it was going on, I almost I almost started to dislike when they'd flash back to the to the childhood scenes because you just remember all those mistakes that you made as a kid. And yes, you've learned from all of them. Um, and become a better person, but it's like, oh wow, I was an idiot back then. Like, why, why did I do that? Why did I do this thing? Why was I so focused on, you know, this purse or this this one sort of thing? When you know, okay, all of these other good things happened, and why was I so focused on, you know, these few bad? Uh, so with that, just so everyone out there listening knows, next time you hear from us, uh, we are going to jump away from the uh, slice of life kind of feeling that we've had for a majority of the start here. Really since Castle in the Sky, everything has had a, a flare of slice of life. Uh, and now we're getting into uh, uh, airplane flying pigs, uh, <laughs> for we are going to be watching Porco Rosso. Yeah, I I have never seen this. I barely know what it's about. So uh, I've also never seen this one, so I'm very excited okay. to watch it for the first time. And uh, I, with with Porco Rosso, guys, have you heard the story that Miyazaki actually prefers the French dub of this movie? He thinks it's his favorite version of the movie because it has Jean Reno as Porco Rosso. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I wonder if Michael Keaton just like there was a stab at his heart when he heard that. It's like, oh, okay, I guess that's well, fine. Well, I mean, Jean Reno is a fantastic actor, though. So, yes. Yeah. Know. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Connor, anything uh, social media wise that you wanted to plug? Um, so just uh, so everyone knows, um, we are recording this before the election, um, but it <laughs> will it will come out on on the fifth um so we do not know the results or anything uh we are hoping for the best way uh, to destroy my joke before i even get to it <laughs> i had to uh, i didn't <laughs> uh but yeah uh yeah connor any any social media plugs and you know anything coming up for you oh no, you can you can find me on 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 twitter at uh, at connor underscore holt I also have a VHS, a VHS Instagram account called VHS Spectacular. I'm a big VHS fan. I actually have several of these, uh, of the Ghibli films on VHS because they have different dubs and uh, different releases. It's always fascinating. Um, but yeah, with because this is a Takahata movie, I recommend you know watching all of Takahata's films. And if you can, seek out some of his earlier works. He did a lot of TV work with Miyazaki back in the 70s and 80s. They're not really officially released, but you can find them on YouTube. He did Heidi. He did Anna Green Gables. 
uh, and also his first movie, Horace, Prince of the Sun. I think he's a phenomenal director with a long career that is worth checking out if you're a fan of Ghibli. Uh, and Shane? Uh, yeah, so uh, if you're listening to this on the on the 5th, which is a Thursday, right? Release these on Thursdays? Yes, we release these on Thursdays. I will probably still be uh, either drunk from celebration or for some, from sadness from the election results. Uh, uh, go Biden. Um, and... Uh, yep. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can, uh, listen to this podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, knocked out entertainment. Knocked out films is the easiest to search for. Yes. Knocked out films will be the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, subscribe to that. Cause I still would like to get us to a hundred, uh, ba- hundred subscribers. So I basically can make... just look for Miyazaki and me until we get to a hundred subscribers. Um, yep and and then uh and then once we get to 100 i can make kyle listen to uh akira which i'm very excited to do uh and then uh keep a lookout um having talks with a buddy of mine carl about doing a uh another podcast here which is also anime based but very different from uh from from studio ghibli uh to be television anime so uh keep a lookout for that uh yeah and then uh so yeah actually speaking of the early takahata stuff in the in the uh, in the making of documentary, Takahara actually said he he actually enjoys making people laugh, um, but uh, but Miyazaki keeps picking the super fun titles to do, so he has to go in a different direction, um, which is like that one quote of like you you've made the saddest anime I've ever seen. Thank you for saying you know you want to make people laugh. And it's like okay, um, but yeah, I'll I, get I in, the next, in his next two films, Pompoko and uh, My Neighbor the yeah. uh, the Abadas, will we'll, we'll both will both achieve that for him. Yeah, <laughs> oh, hopefully, yes. Um, but yeah, you can you can follow me uh, online at uh, Knocked Out Films and knockedoutentertainment.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Be good to each other. <laughs>